Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to this edition of the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. Hello, I'm Timothy Harvey. Okay, a couple of quick programming notes while I fight my joints here. Uh, okay, so it has come to my attention. I've been watching a number of different streams, and I believe I was watching, uh, might have been Michael Bancroft's stream last week talking about you know streaming and comics creators and how you use Twitch to your advantage in marketing, whatever. And it got mentioned there, and I went back and checked, the affiliate agreement. Mm-hmm. Because we're at the affiliate level now. Sure. The affiliate agreement for Twitch says that uh, all of the stuff that you stream to Twitch stays exclusive to Twitch for the first 24 hours. Well, that doesn't quite work for everything that we're trying to do here. So we're not streaming to Twitch tonight. We're just streaming to YouTube and Facebook. And that leaves us now trying to figure out what we're going to stream to Twitch. Sure. And, and, and one of the, you know, of course, we've done gameplay on there before, which is how Twitch started. And we've done a few shows, and we've talked and kicked around some different ideas and some different things. And sure. it came up today, um, one of the things that I mentioned during Live from the Bunker was that we had no plans whatsoever to do any kind of hot tub stream, which apparently seems to be the thing of the day now on Twitch. Hot tub. Hot tub. Like... Sitting in a hot tub. A certain certain particular type of streamer on Twitch, of the female persuasion. Sure. Yes, in a hot tub, in the room, so indoors, Mm -hmm. not a hot tub outside, Mm -hmm. but a hot tub, indoors, Mm -hmm. and various states of dress or not, and (laughs) there are people who are watching those streams. Sure. But I'm thinking, I'm neither of us. Nobody nobody wants to see that. that. (laughs) Okay, it's possible that somebody wants to see that. Somebody might want to see it, but we're not going to give it to you. Uh, Now, Mrs. Boss had the absolutely brilliant (coughs) idea to expand upon your... that, That was me. To expand upon your offer... I'll wait for you to sure. finish your drink. <laughs> because I will take All right, why is, what is this going on here? Sorry, folks, we have some static. We have time. static. I have, I have two bars on my microphone. What does the receiver show over there? When I looked at it, it said two. We should be okay. Yeah. I don't know why this is doing this. Anyway. All right, so a while back, Mm -hmm. a very long while ago, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about 
Sailor Moon cosplay. Do you remember this right, conversation? Yes. Mm -hmm. and, you, and, and you might recall, at the time, you said that if somebody were to give us $5,000, you'd consider cosplaying as I, Sailor Moon. That's true. I, I, in fact, and, and, and folks, I stand by that because you know what? I'm 50 years old. <laughs> I could care how I look sometimes. And quite frankly, if it amuses folks and it enables us to do cool things for the channel, then I have. Uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly on board with that. Uh, well, see, and you kind of. I'm that... secure in my masculinity. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, so. <laughs> for whatever it's worth. So, brilliant Yahoo over here decides that. You know, if you're For willing, ten thousand dollars, <laughs> well, I will do a hot except, tub stream. Except we don't have a hot tub, nor do we have plans to get a hot tub. We know enough people in this town. Someone's got a hot tub. <laughs> For ten thousand dollars, you hear, heard it here first, folks. Eight C again. It comes. You know what? And by the time that you folks give us ten thousand dollars, I'll have a chance at the gym a lot more, and I will maybe not embarrass myself as much as I, I did right I, now. I yeah okay. I have so. I have COVID. You know, I've got uh, pandemic uh, physique right now, and I'm working on it. But I don't know that anybody would. You just need to go for walks more. Uh, well, yeah. I, well, I don't have any plan to do. Anything in a hot for tub for fifteen thousand dollars. Jason <laughs> will do you, it too. No, no, fifteen thousand no. bucks. Yes, he will. No, I won't. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Nope. Yep. Fifteen thousand. The state of Missouri nope. says I can say fifteen thousand dollars. So nope. you heard it here first. Nope. I will make him do it. Not gonna happen. Will do. So anyway, that's not the topic for tonight's discussion. Although we do, <laughs> oh no, let's turn the rest of the hour. <laughs> Although we do need to talk about what kind of shows we're going to do over on Twitch. I had thought oh about, uh, I had thought about uh, very briefly, pre-shows or after shows. Mm. So we do, you know, we're we're doing this show here at eight o'clock. Right. We could do a half hour ahead of it. Or half hour afterwards, or you know something like that. Or we could do something in the middle of the day. Or you, some different ideas of some different things that we do over there. Because it has to be, it has to be unique to Twitch, mm -hmm. and it also has to be something that doesn't take away from the rest of our programming over on YouTube. So we we have some discussions that need maybe to be a, maybe had. Maybe a weekly, um, just to start anyway, like a weekly recap of the big stories of the week. Um, to sit there and go, okay, hey, on on Astro we talked about this. We wanted to, we wanted to mention this thing again. And we talked about this on Foreign Bodies, and we talked about this on, on Good Morning Multiverse. This is one of the big stories. We were like, hey, let's come back to yeah. this. You know, like last week, uh, this most recent uh, Good Morning Multiverse, I talked about the legal thing involving the, the Predator right. screenplay right. rights. Uh, there's more to that story that you can go deeper into it and talk a little bit more about it. Well, okay, so it's a thought. Let, let, let's put a pin in that, because that, that gives me an idea. So remind me afterwards. So we'll do the show we'll, from the hot tub. No. <laughs> <laughs> See, we've already, lost, we've already lost a viewer because we haven't gotten to our topic yet. All right, so tonight's topic is a corollary <laughs> oh my. Uh, to last week's show. Uh, last week, we mm. talked about what makes a hero. And this week, we're going to flip the other side of the coin and talk about what makes a villain. I have three examples from three different mediums. Okay. 
and you'll notice the big tome well, on the table. Interestingly enough, I have a reference that because one of them is in fact Tolkien, because you have Sauron. Yes, the big bad. Yes. And so here we, and this is a crossover because it's both in literature and in film. This works well for. Right. Um, and then you have. Uh, in in film exclusively because the comic book stuff there's certainly comic book adaptations and novel things but the primary source for most people is the film so you have Darth Vader right and then for the comic book side of things um, and comic books primarily but also crossing over with film you have Doctor Doom and um, they're all very interesting examples of how to both give, when it matters, to give no background, or, or background isn't important, right. or background is important. Um, because what the film versions of Doctor Doom get wrong, what the uh, film versions of Darth Vader can get wrong, mm -hmm. And what the film versions of Sauron absolutely got right um, really is kind of very interesting. How you can look at these these very iconic characters, um, and of course I got some other got some other ones over here too. So. All right, very sundries. I'm going to do this one thing. I'm going to get up. I'm going to make noise. Is this going to be that one trick gonna... that um, that one neat trick that? <laughs> Why does that keep? I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to edit that out. Because you're just not well. That I work best in shadow. I mean, it's just <laughs> that doesn't work very well either. <laughs> we still, I still have to get over to the the light bulb store and get a get a lamp for our studio light, mm -hmm. which is, of course, a specialty lamp right. that you can't just walk over to the hardware store and say, "Hey, give me a bulb." You have to go and spend, and it's something like a $30 bulb or something. Sure. So, yeah, I've still got to. Yeah, so I've, I've got to get over there tomorrow and, and get that done. But anyway, okay, all right. So back to what you were saying. Where do, where, do we, where do we start? You've got those three examples. I've got those three examples. Well, I mean, um, where, would, where would you start? Um, you know, it's... I guess maybe we should define our terms a little bit. Well, I mean, so broad like strokes, did, but... Well, what, like we did last week, because we, yeah. there's a difference between a protagonist and a hero. Yes. And there is a difference between an antagonist and a villain. Right. And, for example, uh, you can have a character like the Punisher who is both a protagonist and an antagonist in the same character, sometimes in the same story. Right. And a villain is not to be confused with an anti-hero because sometimes you have the story that's told from the villain's point of view. That doesn't make the villain the anti-hero. There's a very distinct dis mm -hmm. difference between those two types of characters. Um, I, I would say that the villain... Uh, for our purposes here, is somebody who is actively working to do harm either to the hero or people associated to the hero 
or the general population. Mm -hmm. you know, there's some, some target of his ire, whether he's motivated by greed or uh, revenge or power or being, you, can, you, can you know, or he's a sociopath, he just doesn't care, he's just going to do it for fun. Well, and you can look at somebody like, in one of the, the for all my criticisms of the Snyderverse and, and Man of Steel, Zod was an interesting version of Zod because he had a motivation. Mm. He was still, you know, he was still conquering the earth. He was, his goal was to slaughter millions to make room for his people. But there was this, you know, from his point of view, this was just, I need to make a home for my people. Right. And, and there's some certain his historical correlations with that that get kind of icky. I, well, and I think in that particular point, that, that takes us back to the villain being the hero of his own story. Because in that particular case, yes, Zod is doing something that we would consider... You know, destructive monstrous. and monstrous, but he's not motivated by. He doesn't start out motivated. We're just in the way. Yeah. Later, it becomes personal. Like I will kill. You know, will kill millions for you know just to, to punish you for not cooperating. Call right. Right. So at that point, he, be, he moves over from being. You know. It sucks, it sucks that, that, that you know, millions of you are going to die, but it's not personal. Yeah. Um, and that, of course, you, you get into your like cosmic horror stories where you get to things like your, your Cthulhu mythos and things like that, where the elder gods and, and all these different creatures, they don't care about humanity. It's not a... They're just acting on instinct. It's just, 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 just the way it, it is. It's just the way it is. We just yeah. happen to be... We're, we're at the wrong end of the scale here. It's like Pacific Rim. There's no, there's no cognitive motivation that we're going to do this thing to you. Well, except for the Pacific Rim, the monsters themselves don't have that, but the entities behind the monsters do. It is well, an invasion. there's that. So, and that's just it. You can also have this sliding scale of villainy. You have something like the, the, the kaiju from Pacific Rim. On their own, they're not evil. They're tools. Yeah. And yet you can get into something like Lord of the Rings and you can get into the orcs and you can find that there's a blurring of that because in some ways the orcs are very tortured creatures. They were created to be this. They're, in some ways there's a certain amount of sympathy you can have for the broads. In, on an individual level when the orc is trying to kill you, you're not thinking sympathetic. But when you understand the orc's backstory, you can sit there and go, well, that sucks. Yeah. But. But. On the field of the battle, you're not. That's not your concern. Well, and the other part of that is that the orcs don't resist doing the things that they were made to do. Well, yeah, they that, don't sit there and go, you know, I really don't like and that, killing and, and, and pillaging. And that becomes a question. You, know, you look at something like a stormtrooper too, is where you sit there and go, okay, how much, how much free will do these entities right. actually have? How much can they break out? And one of the things that you see in that's why you end up with characters, you know, like. A stormtrooper in the in the sequel trilogy who sits there and goes, "I don't want to do this anymore." That actually becomes a big deal because you don't see that with the other characters. There's a there's a, a legends mm -hmm. canon with that. Are you responding to someone? Because I'm not seeing anybody in the chat other than you, Mrs. Boss. Am, am I? Well, I know there's se okay, I, okay. I was just making sure because sometimes I have noticed that things 
in one chat window mm -hmm. don't show up in another chat window. Mm -hmm. So I just want to make sure that I'm not missing anything. But in um, in the Timothy Zahn mm -hmm. trilogy, Heir to the Empire, that that group, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn has this theory, and he puts it to the test, and it turns out he's correct, that the Emperor used the Force to coordinate Imperial forces. So there's a certain amount of mind control mm -hmm. now when you're talking about stormtroopers and officers and, and that sort of thing. And that kind of goes back to what you're saying with the stormtroopers. How much is free will? How much is, for lack of a better word, programming right. in terms of, well, for the clones, it's in their genetics. It's hardwired, yeah. Yeah. But for the rec the recruits or the volunteers, whoever signs up to be a stormtrooper after they stopped using clones, mm -hmm. how much of that is we're going to just do this thing because this is the thing? There's a there's a film, uh, Kurt Russell film called Soldier, that is strictly speaking set in the Blade Runner universe, mm. uh, and it was not a popular not not a popular film. I quite enjoy it actually. It's, I think it's. Uh, one of those movies that sort of slides under the radar. Isn't Dolph Lundgren in that as he well? He is not in that. Or Jean-Claude... Jason, Jean Jason Scott Lee. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I knew... What about Jean-Claude Van Damme? Because I was not, thinking there was... No, he's no? not in that. Um, okay. And this is basically... Uh, Kurt Russell has like 50 words that he says in the entire film. Mm. And he's from a group of soldiers that was raised from infancy to be the perfect soldiers. These are indoctrinated people. From that they are they are uh, they were programmed by their education and their upbringing to essentially be peak physical condition and to obey orders without question. No, I mean they have free will, but it's been so focused and muffled right. that they're incredibly flexible in terms of being adapting to a situation. But they are never going to question an order. Mm. They get supplanted by these vat-grown super soldiers. Um, and in the course of the very beginning of the film, you see how they're sort of raised to be the soldiers, and then this next generation comes along and basically makes them obsolete in the course of a day. And um, because Kurt Russell's character is like the creme de la creme of this, and he essentially embarrassed his superiors by failing, they dump him, uh, they think he's dead, they dump him on this, on this planet, which is basically a garbage planet, and um, uh, turns out to have uh, a small group of settlers on it who have staked their own little claim. And uh, for reasons, of course, it has to get wiped out and everyone has to be killed, and so they send in these new soldiers, and Kurt Russell has to fight against them. And so it's an example of, of the, the you know, free will versus... Uh, um, indoctrination. Indoctrination. And also a certain amount of... of the, the idea that the lone soldier fighting against his former compatriots because he's where he's standing in the conflict has shifted. Right. Um, and it's there's a certain amount of mindless action quality to it. Well, it was, what, 89, 80, 90, somewhere in there? But it's got Sean Pertwee uh, in it, and uh, I think it's Connie Nielsen. It's a great cast. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jason Isaacs plays one of the... Uh, I think he plays the... The part of the group that is, is the uh, uh, 
we've got the next generation. He's, he's got a really bad southern accent. It's wonderful. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's very much that cocky sort of, you know. And uh, kind of like kind of like the voice they gave Arnold Schwarzenegger. Kind of like. In the so, but anyway, it's 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 an interesting way of looking at these kind of like you know the the drone in these conflicts. You look at the the the, the maskless, mindless soldier that you just mm-hmm. see. You're killing waves of these people. Right, but we all remember the stormtrooper who bonked his head on the doorway. Right, because he stood up. <laughs> well, and that's and one of the, the things ones who actually hit things when they when they shoot. Right, and that's that's one of the things where, and I've seen this in a couple of places where, with stormtroopers, and one of the reasons why they have these masks that hide their faces is because it turns them away from being people. Right, they're easy. It's easier to kill because. You don't have a face. Right, and, and from an audience standpoint, that's important because while we can, if you watch a World War II film, we know enough about the Nazis that if you see someone in a Nazi uniform get gunned down, mm-hmm. your emotional reaction is not the same as seeing someone in an allied uniform get gunned down. Stormtroopers are the same way. If you take, if you dehumanize them, and if you stop to think about how many people our heroes kill, <laughs> right? You don't, you know, and. And it's that, you know, it, it's a fantasy, it's space opera. You don't want to think about these things because... Well, it's, you know, it's it's Flash Gordon, it's Buck Rogers, the good well, guys win. There's a there's an interesting um, uh, Strange Adventures, DC Comics is running the, this Adam Strange yeah, with Adam series. Strange. Right uh, and it's really kind of interesting because that's exactly what they're doing. They're, they're looking at... Uh, Adam Strange has been accused of war crimes uh, in, a, in a space battle. And his daughter apparently had died in this. In this, and so there's a certain amount of, you know, vengeance versus justice. Is this Tom King writing I it? I can't remember who's writing it. I think um, Tom King's writing it. But it's interesting because it's it's the Justice League is looking into it, and Mr. Miracle's investigating because it's like the story seems to be there's we don't have the full story, so it's almost it's a mystery essentially mm-hmm. is what it is. Um, but it's interesting because. You look at, you know, Adam Strange is, a great, is actually a great character for this kind of thing because his character is a Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, space adventure, space opera thing. And Quite literally with his outfit. Yeah. It's jetpack. And, and, and so it's, it's an interesting exploration of this sort of idea of, of where the people who are accusing of war crimes are the people who lost. And they're like, you murdered you know, millions of our people. Mm-hmm. This, was, this was not a justified thing. And so it's... You know, I mean, and so it's interesting. Um, I think there's, it's not coming out as fast as you'd like when you've got this kind of, it's like, I'd, I'd like the answer now. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but so he's he's being painted as the villain, as it were. At that except story. from except he's also being painted as sympathetic because you get it from the right. from the folks outside, and you also get it from his point of view. So he's like, it was war. This is what we did, and they killed my kid. And so he's like, you know, his his arguments. Um, are, are, are presented as just as valid as the ones from outside. And that's the mystery, is, is who's telling the truth. Right. And is, does he even see the truth? Which is what you can get with some villains, too, where perception, which brings me to Doctor Doom. Okay, bring myself in here. All right. Okay. So Doctor Doom is one of the great comic book villains. He's also one of the iconic Fantastic Four villains, uh, he's he's fought just about every Marvel superhero there is, and he has come to screen one, two, three, four, four times now in live action. Yes. Count the Corman movie. Yeah. Um, which was 
oddly enough, probably the closest to the comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in not only costume design, for good and for real, um, but also in terms of character, although he's, over, he's a little more over-the-top in there than... Although Doom is an over-the-top character in the early days of... The early days of Fantastic Four, <laughs> Doom is very much a... I'm an armored megalomaniac. But one There's thing just no room for the mustache, or, or, or well, he would mu- be twisting. It's underneath the mask. Yeah. He just doesn't... He twirls it when we can't see it. Right. He lifts up the mask and twirls um, but one of the things that they've done in the comics, because the, how storytelling changed. When the comic first came out, Doctor Doom could just be, he's the ruler of this other country, he's mm-hmm. just as smart as Reed, but he hates Reed because ego. and the, You could get this broad strokes of villainy. But over time, of course, the comics have expanded this, and they've dived into his psychology. The fact that he looks at himself as not being a villain, but as literally having the viewpoint that he is smart enough and powerful enough and knows what he's doing, he should be in charge. He will save the world if only we will bow down before him. Right. If you would just listen to me and do what I say, everything would be fine. I will make unto this a paradise. Yes. And there's been several different what-if titles over time um, which has actually shown that that is the end goal. That is the end result. Doom essentially will make of Earth a paradise. The problem is the body count to get there. Oh, sure. Is, is you know. Well, it's just like Thanos. Right. You know, Thanos is sitting there saying there's limited resources in the universe and there's too many people taking up the, taking up the, the resources and using everything up. So, and, and this, is, this is where... This is where Thanos loses me. I mean, all respect to Jim Starlin. But if you can, with a snap of your fingers, reduce the total population of the universe by half, why then could you not, with a snap of your fingers, double the amount of resources available for the population. I mean... It, it's it, not as dramatic a story. <laughs> I, I know, but it... I mean, if you have the power to do one, you sh- it follows you should have the power to do the other. Well, yes. And, and this is one of those things where um, if you stare too hard at the comic book or I the know, movie. I know. But and, and, and this is just part of storytelling. This is just the way we if you think about some of these things, they don't hold up under like serious thought. No. Well and Doctor Doom is the same way. I mean you have this you have this guy who is the ruler of his country, essentially, mm-hmm. and instead of taking whatever whatever the resources of the country and doing doing good with it, he's bent on this you know, megalomaniacal rage fit to prove that he's better than than Reed Richards. And the flip the the flip side of that is you look at Wakanda, mm-hmm. for example. You know, this advanced technology, and they've hidden themselves from the world. They don't want to do anything for anybody else. They're very isolationist. Mm-hmm. And you're right; it doesn't hold up to scrutiny when you start looking at the plot points of these things. It's like, well, wait a minute, why don't you? help other people. Why well, don't you do good with what you have? And, well, and Reed Richards has the same problem. 
because Reed Richards has invented all these amazing, wonderful things. He doesn't share them with the rest of the world. Yeah. Iron Man has invented this amazing technology. He doesn't share it with the rest of the world. There's non-military applications to the Iron Man suits. So, I mean, there's, it's, it's, a, it's a conceit that you get with comics. You just have to, and sometimes this pops up in plot points, too. Well, and I can understand being reluctant to share some of that technology that has the potential to get weaponized, because we, we actually see that in Iron Man 2. Sure, and we also see it in the Armor Wars series, the various Armor Wars series that have been in, in the comics, and I'm sure we're going to see it. In yeah, the, it's coming to the, Disney+. Plus. Um, but the, the, the fact is, is that when you have a science hero in comic books, they always have amazing technology that they do not share. And one of the things that um, the um, Planetary Series, I think it was Warren Ellis, wrote the Planetary Series. And it took, it was supposed to be a 24-issue series that's supposed to go up yeah. uh, monthly, and then it was bi-monthly, and then there was, I think, <laughs> a ten, it was 10 years in between the first and the, and the last issue. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. But the final issue is them basically going, here, humanity, we've discovered all these secrets. We're going to share. And the end of the final issue is, wow, Earth is becoming a really amazing and wonderful... You know, cancer's been eliminated. You know, uh, we have flying cars. We have all the things. And it's all, you know, the world has been, the world has been improved because this, this organization sat there and went, We've uncovered all these amazing technologies and secrets. Have some. Yeah. Um, so, but you look at someone like Doom, and the character's actually been improved over time by giving him the depth to show that there's family issues involved with why he is the way he is, um, the, the question of whether or not he actually... These people actually love him, or they are in fear of him. Because depending on the writer, mm -hmm. depending on the moment, depending on the in, in the same series, it can change. We saw that with Sinestro in Emerald Dawn Two. Mm -hmm. That that miniseries uh, basically retelling the origin of Hal Jordan as Green Lantern, um, where Sinestro his home his home world he rules over them with an iron thumb. I mean, mm -hmm. just really just clamps down and it's all order and in his mind you know we have order and so there's no crime and so there's no problems and everybody is scared to death of him mm -hmm. i mean we're not even going to drop a piece of trash on the ground it's that it's that much fear but yeah it's it's that kind of thing and and you're saying that von doom is the same way with Latveria. Latveria. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that you, you end up with a, a depth to the character that makes him a more interesting villain than just a megalomaniac who hates Reed Richards in an armored suit. Unfortunately, when it comes to the live-action versions, that's what we've gotten. Mm -hmm. There's, it's a character where, in, because you've had the time to build up this character, there was just a Doom miniseries, six issues, I think, um, where... Doom gets to be happy. He, uh, he's accused of assassinating someone. He didn't do it. He goes on the run uh, and ends up discovering, I guess, falling into a reality where he basically gets what he wants. And he's got a wife and kids and the world is a better place and all these things. Ah. Um, and so there's... <clears throat> and over the years, even, even in the early days, they started to flesh Doom out so you get this sense of... of who he is and why he is, which makes him an interesting character. Because you've been doing the same things with Reed Richards. 
and the Fantastic Four mm -hmm. and Sue and Johnny and Ben. But in film, <laughs> we had two films. Uh, the the was it Fox? Who did the who yeah. did the Fox? Fox did all three of them. All, they yeah. did. Um, the two films that were you know the the ones that are recognizably the Fantastic Four movies. He's just your standard megalomaniacal villain. There's right. No, there's not a. He's you know. He's and, a, he's he's a Lex Luthor type. And they barely put him in the costume. Yeah. Which admittedly, your mask, you know, the mask hides your mask hides your actor. Well, so. and see, and that's that's one of the that's one of the issues that I have with with the superhero movies because of that because you have this almost a requirement expectation that because of the actor that you have the mask comes off and i think that takes away a little bit of the character that they're going to portray because if you're if you're iron man or you're doctor doom or you know part of that part of that character is the outfit and when you're taking the mask off every five minutes for reasons it's the difference between judge dread and dread Carl yeah. Urban never takes off the mask. Right, exactly. And and it it makes the and if you know anything about the character, you know that's why that's important. And I think that it's you know why you you only see Darth Vader that is mask at you know the end of the, the the third film. But with Doom, okay, so he's megal megalomaniacal villain. Van mm. <laughs> Um for all the other problems in that in that film, they try and do something that the, that the ultimate universe tried to do, which was basically put Doom. Doom is Doom is a jerk, but he doesn't start off as a villain villain. And uh, he is just like just like the Fantastic Four is warped by the experiment that, that the ultimate version does the uh, their version of its transdimensional thing. Um, so is he. They take him in a much more horror monster kind of. Right, a lot uh, of body horror. A lot of body horror in what happens to him because he almost becomes a demon physically. Um, uh, but um, ultimately, he ends up in the armor and we end up getting the look. Uh, now, of course, Ultimate Line interestingly flips that by making Reed Richards a far bigger villain in the end than right. Doom ever was. But in before you realize how far this film is about to go off the rails. Um, there's an attempt to sit there and, and build these character dynamics between these characters, right? Yeah. And, and there's a certain amount of what, what they're trying to do with Doom here, which is to make him part of this group, still an outsider, but more part of this group, you know, arrogant, unpleasant, but, but willing to work with these people for his own end. When you get into, then he disappears for most of the movie, and comes back as a shrink-wrapped, telekinetic, a character who resembles Doom in no way, shape, or form. Right. He's a lot closer to, to the uh, Molecular Man. Molecule Man? Remember him? Mar the Miracle Man? No, no, it's a, a, I want to say it's either Molecule Man or Molecular Man, but he's, he's, a, he's a Fantastic Four villain um, who has been an ally at points, too. But anyway, um, physically he doesn't look like Doom, he doesn't act like Doom. Doom is a character who, while the 
instinct is to put him in the movie and make him the villain. And when now that we're going to get a Fantastic Four movie, I really hope that Doom does not become the villain of the first film, fully formed. Give us time uh, yeah, to I build see, he, the character. Yeah, you up. need to earn it. And I think I think Feige is smart enough to do that because, as we've seen with other with other characters that have been given time to to build and to grow into whatever it is that they're doing. Now, occasionally, a few missteps along the way, well, but could, not you know, you so could, much. Somebody like Loki, you can broad strokes him in. Right? Sure. And that's the performance. Yeah. Right? Doom, is a, Doom, I think, is different. Doom, I think, you have to sit there and build it up. You can, end of the film, you can have him disfigured. Mm-hmm. And then that's and your, and you put that, that's, a, that's the last shot of the first film. You put yep. down the mask and screams because it, it you know, yep. it's, and then the second film, but you build up the character, you establish Latveria, you establish his genius, you establish all these different things so that he becomes uh, an impressive enemy down the line. That's the problem with how Doom has been portrayed in movies is that they jump right to... Evil, maniacal. Right. Yeah. And, and st- without doing what they do with Darth Vader, which is they just, here's the character. You don't get See, the backstory. And that's, and that's something, and, and by the way, in, in the chat, D-Dub, welcome and hello. Uh, it's, a good, it's good to see you here because they, this is a new name. We have not exactly. seen you welcome. here before. Right. Welcome. Uh, now, Darth Vader is one of those where, yes, you get him fully formed villain from the outset, and then in The Empire Strikes Back, you in, you introduce the Emperor, who is the bigger villain, mm-hmm. and, and all of that. And um, the, the, the reveal of who he was, mm-hmm. and then we get the prequels, which... Nobody really wanted or asked for. It was like, well, okay. Eventually, we're going to get. We we knew there were other stories that George Lucas wanted to tell, but you get into this this situation with certain particular villains, and I noticed. I think the first time that I really zoned in on it was when they were making the movie about the Menendez brothers. Okay. And the story of the Menendez brothers and all of the media coverage of all of that kind of kind of gave me a little bit more of a perspective where I started to see where these places where people wanted to make the villain sympathetic. We have to understand why they're, if they, they are the way they are. And before that, there wasn't really some, and I wouldn't say that the Menendez brothers trial was the, 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 the you, turning point. That's why I started noticing it. Because there's, the, there's been this shift in Hollywood of the last 20 some odd years where we can't just have the black hat villain. I think to some degree because while there is a definite place for the black hat villain, it depends on the kind of story. Because I think that in some, in like in... In the last 10 years, let's say, mm. name me one p- 
pure black hat villain. We don't need to know his backstory. He's the bad guy, and that's all we need to know. Charles Dance from the second uh, Godzilla movie. But even then, they give him a motivation. But it's such it's such a it's such a here's the motivation, and then we move on. I know, but he's an environmental terrorist, and it's a and, you know it's one of those things where it's it's. It's in the it's in the zeitgeist. It's, well, it's or you look at you look at the folks who are, are uh, even the, in the Snyder Cut. You look at the the terrorists who um, hit the, the museum hit where they at the beginning with Wonder Woman's bit. Mm-hmm. They just want to, you know, drive mankind back to the Middle Ages. It's like okay, well, this is the dumbest motivation. Yep, You're just straight up evil. But they're not the main villains of the no, story. No, they're not. But even then, well, even then, Darkseid doesn't have a complicated um, because because. What they what he does right with Darkseid is what the first Star Wars movie does right with Darth Vader. He's not in the film that much. Right. He shows up to sit there and go, you know, be and when scary, he does show up, and when he does show up, he's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But they develop again. It's an example of developing the character. You see the layers of the character and a redemption arc. And here's where my problem. I don't. I don't mind char- villain, villainous characters having greys. I don't mind villainous characters having motivations. Sometimes I find that very, very interesting. Mm. But what I don't like, what I don't need, and you, and you know what, folks, if you do, that's absolutely fine. All right, this is a perfect. <laughs> We're not going to call you names. This is an opinion, yes. and I understand some people like this stuff. But personally, in movies, let's and let's make a distinction here because there's. A difference, right? There is a difference between a book, a movie, and a comic book. Right. Because in a book, play, in a book, you can t- you can spend longer. Your you can, movie you can is work an at it. hour and a half, yeah. two hours, three hours, four hours. If you're doing something like this, comic book, you got twenty four pages. Right, and if that, and even over the course of a twelve issue series, they're parceling that out over a year, yeah, or longer, depending if it's a you know it's a bi monthly, depending on what it is. Or it's a miniseries, it's six issues, or it's a hundred issues, or whatever the comic is. So you have time to, to, to build this story. And so you can give those characters a certain kind of grayness. Doctor Doom benefits from having layers. Hmm. Uh, Doctor Octopus, Spider-Man villain, benefits. Um, the fact that you get glimpses into a character like Norman Osborn... And yet he's still always a monster. Yes. A, you, you can sympathize. No matter what version of the character you're looking at. You can get that much sympathy for him, and then you're like, eh, squish. Yeah. Um, but Darth Vader, in movies, right, in movies, where you've got an hour and a half. So, tell you, so let's say Star Wars. You're looking at eight hours on the outside. Seven and a half, really. Seven, seven and a half. That's not a lot of time. Right. And so you don't, you don't spend a whole lot of time explaining your bad guys. Here's Darth Vader. He's the, he serves the Emperor. He used to be, you know, he used to be a Jedi Knight. He used to, you know, he's, he's a Lord, Dark Lord of the Sith. Oh wait, he's Luke Skywalker's father. Oh wait, he's dead. He's redeemed himself. He's dead. That's his whole story. We yeah. don't require anything else. You know his story. And the problem with the prequels, to me. One of the problems with the prequels. <laughs> Got a lot of problems with the prequels. I know folks don't like the the this, the the sequels, but quite frankly, I'm never going to dislike the sequels as much as I dislike the prequels. I just am not because, quite frankly, that's the the 
for all the fault, faults of the sequels, they, content, they attempt to continue a story, and they get things right, and they get things wrong, and people have plenty of opinions, and, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to debate their opinions. But the prequels commit a much worse sin. They're unnecessary. These films do not need to exist. Right. There was no demand for them. And what we got contradicts the information that we got in the, in the in original. Star Wars. In, yeah. yeah. And so not only are they <clears throat> unnecessary, but they're wrong. <laughs> well, see, and, and I, had, I, I even had it in my head one time, and I've still got the document somewhere, where... I, w- I was going to take, and I still might make the attempt at some point when I have the spare time, <clears throat> where you take what Obi-Wan told Luke at that first that first scene where he's talking about when I first met him and this and that and the other. Because the impression that I get there is that Anakin Skywalker, when Obi-Wan met him, Anakin was probably in his 30s. And he was already, you know, this successful pilot, and he was a warrior, and he was kind of, uh, because you get that impression, you know, when I first knew him, he was, a, he was a skilled pilot and cunning warrior and all this. You're in the middle of the Clone Wars. And somewhere along the way, Anakin Skywalker fell to temptation or, you know, seduction or, you know, whatever caused him to be was and I thought I want to see that story well, we didn't see that story. we didn't see that story because we got the prequels instead and I understand that you know from the get go when Star Wars first came out and then we were getting episode 5 and 6 as part of it we understood from the very beginning that we were coming into the middle of it mm-hmm. because if George great. Lucas only could tell the one story. Let's tell the story that's got the big pew pew shoot 'em ups, right? Mm-hmm. And all of this back stuff with the politics and the and the and the and the the Clone Wars and all this other that falls by the wayside if he doesn't have the money to make anything else. And you're right. When you get to the prequels, one of the problems with it is that you know where it's going. You know where it's supposed to go. But not only that. But you don't get there the way we expected to get there. And you get there in a dumb way. Yeah. And it's a disappointing way when you consider that there's a... There's a mun... It's mundane. It's mundane. You, there's, a, there's an epic, mythic quality. And especially... Okay, admittedly, it's the first Star Wars film has it more than the second and third does. Because we're... We're being dropped into a story that's happening around us. Right. And we're getting told, you know, Obi-Wan is telling Luke, essentially, you know, a, a super abbreviated Cliff Notes version, which automatically makes... And sense. filtered. And filtered, which also makes it sound a little more mythic than it is. Um, but because it's a hero's journey kind of story, it's got that built into the DNA. Going back to the prequels... We all know that politics happens before wars. We all know that economics is, an mm-hmm. infl- is a factor. These are things that, on, in the real world, we know these things. Yeah. But when you're telling big, epic star sagas, this isn't the story you want, because it's, 
It's, at least not the main story. Right. right. And, and of course... There could be pieces of it, elements of it. But and I have some bad news for the folks of young Anakin. And, and no, no offense to Jake Lloyd, who's blameless in all of this. He was just a kid yeah. doing, a, doing a job. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all the people who, who criticized Jake Lloyd were... Shockingly, people were unkind to people in pop fiction in, through a medium. Uh, this has not gone away. Um, you know, the super Muppets, not Muppets, Muppet <laughs> with an O, are, are, are so bloody irritating. Well, the, the thing, and that's, that's what got me to begin with, because throughout the course of the prequel trilogy, Anakin never grows up. He, because when you stop and think about it, his motivation to become a student of the Sith is keep Padme from dying. And it's such an immature way of looking at things. His approach is, how do I keep her from, you know, how do I keep her alive? Mm-hmm. He sees these 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 flashes, these force visions that shows she's in distress, and he doesn't understand. Even though he's in the middle of the Clone Wars, he doesn't understand. People get hurt, people suffer, people die. These terrible things happen to people, and he's got this simplistic. I don't want anything to happen to the girl I had a crush on when I was a kid. In a film with the Emperor in it, he's the most selfish character in this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's a childish selfishness. Mm-hmm. It's not even a fully formed, I'm a grown-up, I know what I want, here's my motivation. It's, I'm a kid, I don't want the angel to die. And it's such a backwards way of getting him to Darth Vader, Lord of the Sith. I mean, he's a teenager. Well, it it shows something that, of course, Harrison Ford famously told George Lucas, you know, you can write it, but nobody can say it. Yeah. Um, and, And Lucas's strength does not lie in character development or dialogue. He's an idea guy. Right. And much in the way that you can definitely see it in Empire Strikes Back, where another, those ideas are getting filtered through another person. Mm-hmm. And which is the reason Empire Strikes Back is, one, is considered to be the best film of all of them. Yes. Um, and it's because the big ideas are filtered through somebody else who's a better storyteller in terms of dialogue and character development than Lucas is. And not to bash Lucas's talent. Lucas has got, I mean, Luke, clearly he's produced a, a bunch of different films, and he's, there's a reason he's is regarded as highly as he is. But the tri- prequel trilogy is an example of how not to write people falling in love, <laughs> how, and, and how not to write someone falling from grace. Not to mention the Jedi Order, who is painted in... The, in Star Wars, as this, yeah. as this mythic, you know, Knights of the Old Republic, mm-hmm. right? And you were actually getting these these really, the if you went to the comic book series, 
you would find Knights of the Old Republic, and right. you would find these various prequel series that ended up not becoming canon, and weren't canon at the time, too, by the way. Like, a lot of the comic book stuff was just, we're, Lucasfilm is letting us do this, but... There are two schools of thought on that. Because I've started, I've started to see because people are arguing back and forth on on what was canon and what wasn't before Disney bought it, and it's the same argument that Star Trek folks have been making. Well, no, because the books have never been canon, and it's always been understood that the books in Star Trek have never been canon. The, except, the pocket books and stuff. Except you get into the stuff where they were writing things for Voyager and Deep Space Nine, and there was some gray areas creeping in. Well, all of that happened oh. after the show, because they never figured that the shows were yeah. coming back. Oh, that, that was a different thing. But anyway, um, the, the, the motivation, but, but it's one of those to kind of circle back, this, this idea of making a villain a sympathetic character, we need to feel sorry for the villain. Like, no, we don't always need to feel sorry for the villain. I don't feel sorry for Hans Gruber. I love Hans Gruber as a villain. And he's not even motivated by anything evil. He's just a bank robber. Well, and that's just it. In the book that it's based on, mm. where John McClane is a very different character, it's not his wife, it's his daughter, and she dies, by the way. Um, Frank Sinatra was offered it because, strictly speaking, he made the film that was the adaptation of the first book. Can you imagine the version of Die Hard with, with <laughs> Frank Sinatra in his, I think, 70s at that point? Oh, point in the part? yeah. He said, no. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Hans Gruber in um, the novel actually does have legitimate world-changing motive. His his parody story of you know I I, he, I, I read about him in a that's in a actually his motivation in the yeah. book. He's actually he literally is a true believer who's like yes we want the money but we actually do want these political prisoners released. I mean this is <laughs> a, so they actually simplified the villain. To make him, make him, you know, literally a bank robber, right? Um, and and because it's Alan Rickman, he's a ends up being a charming bank robber. You could have, you could have done, you could have done the fall of Luke's of of uh, Anakin Skywalker in a very different way, um, and you could have given him an epic, tragic fall. Mm -hmm. That's not what we got. No. So sometimes you have to ask yourself. What the villain, so with someone like Dr. Doom or Dr. Octopus, um, you can you end up with the more information you learn about the characters, the more interesting they become. With someone like Darth Vader or, say, um, I'm Hans Gruber, someone like Darth Vader, you, the more you learn about the character, the less they're, they're, they're less interesting. Because there's a visual component to the character. He's a towering, black-clad, indestructible villain. Yes. He's a horror movie monster. Yeah, he is. He's, he's Dracula. He's, he's, uh, he's the mummy. And you look at he's... something like you go over to the horror genre and you look at Rob Zombie's Halloween movies. Mm -hmm. His first, he, he remakes Halloween and he spends a significant chunk of the story giving you the tragic backstory of Michael Myers. Yeah. And horror movie audiences sat there and went, we don't care! Yeah. Not that there's anything... Uh, okay, so, and, and to be fair, make the movie you want to make. Rob Zombie wanted to make... Okay, that's great. Yeah. But for me and for a lot of other folks, the fact of the matter is, is that 
what makes Michael Myers and a lot of big horror monsters work is that they're just there. Yeah, and they're, they're unrelenting. They're a force of nature. The why isn't important. The why isn't what's scary. Well, and they're not even they're not even people at that point. They're, it's right. it's a it's a thing. What's coming at you? Uh, let me get to this real quick. Matt G in the in the chat with a super chat, ninety nine cent super chat, Thank you, and a smiley face. Thank Pretty you very sure. much. Yes. Ro- huh? What? Oh, cool. Say what you're gonna say. Roy Batty. Oh yeah. You talk about a villain that is interesting as you get more information. And his backstory is he's the opposite of Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Where he becomes more interesting and and it's okay to be sympathetic with Roy Batty because as you learn more about the replicants, mm-hmm. it's almost it's almost a Darth Vader Emperor type of thing where you realize that Roy probably is not the actual villain of the story. He doesn't stop being a murderer. Right. He doesn't stop being an antagonist for Deckard, but um, no. I mean, and even then, the, I mean, the big bad... Tyrell is not evil. He's just, well, he's... He's blinded, he's blinded by his own sense of, it's hubris. He's not blind to it. He doesn't care. Yeah, he's, indi- he's indifferent to the consequences of his, to his... To him, it's, I can do this thing, therefore I will, and it makes money, therefore I'll do it again. It's made me rich, um, and it works, so... Just because you can do a thing doesn't mean well, and, you should and, do it. And Tyrell even recognizes the beauty of what he's accomplished. Mm-hmm. He has, in many ways, he's created life. He's got that godlike perspective right. where it's like, you know... Um, and that clouds his judgment on everything. Well, I mean, and there, he, generally speaking, his in 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 fiction, and I, I'm going to imagine in real life as well, because as far as I'm aware, we haven't done it yet. Creating creating intelligent life without doing it the old-fashioned way, building yeah. it building it in a lab. I don't think we've done it. Um, as far as I know, we haven't done it. There was, back in the 80s, there was a guy who wrote a book. He claimed that they had done this. They had cloned people. And it was a bit of a bestseller at the time. I don't remember this book. What was it called? I can't remember what it's called. But I was fascinated by the, and of course, this is, this is really pre-internet days, right? So, right. So you got this stuff through, like, if you, you had to hunt this stuff down if you wanted to find out if there was a scientific response to this. And luckily, the only reason I even know about this is I came across it because I was a used book dealer at the time. And so the book was in, I was like, this is a fascinating book. And one of my one of my uh, uh, people there, one of my customers, of university town. Uh, it was actually one of the professors who was like, oh yeah, I remember that book. You should talk to so-and-so in the science department. I'm like, oh yeah, why? And he's like, because it's stupid. <laughs> And you, know, you can, and but because it, it takes a lot of work to build a person, folks. It's it's you can't I've, just. I've heard that. Um, and and cloning. We're a ways away from that. Yeah. So, or at least safe. Aside aside from the ethical dilemmas that have come with it, technologically we're a there, ways away from so that. It's so easy to mess things up, the old-fashioned way. 
works. I suppose it does. Yeah. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've managed to make a few humans yep. <laughs> over time. Yep. Uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, I think there's, there's something to be said for that kind of sense of, of in Blade Runner, the villain is, none of the villains in that are actively evil. Right. They're motivated by survival. Motivated by a survival, or they're motivated by the fact that they're a businessman who's had a successful business. And quite frankly, as far as he's concerned, these are disposable machines. Mm -hmm. They were grown. They weren't. They were made. They weren't. They aren't people. Right. Which is, by the way, as soon as you start thinking of any group of people made in a lab or not as not people, this is a wrong path to go down. Although, you know, they're, they're very sophisticated robots. They're not people in the technical sense. Well, but the fact is, without, and that's the whole point of the film, without intending, they made people. Right. And it's like, you know, the, 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 it's, it's Frankenstein. Yeah. I've cr the monster that you've created is more human than... You meant, but you're stuck with a human now. Yeah. And all right. So here's the here's the example of how to do a, uh, the ultimate example of how to do a villain without any explanation. Sauron from the Lord of the Rings, the movie version. Mm. How much backstory about Sauron do you get in Lord of the Rings, the movies? You got <sighs> maybe this, about fifteen minutes. This epic four four million year long movies. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not talking the Hobbit. I mean, there's there's what I, I've got. I got the. I think it's something around eight, ten, eight or ten hours right, and with the, the extended four, editions. And that's even when you get into all the you add yeah. all the. There is very little information about Sauron. He's it a bad is, guy. He's conquered the world. He's over. Well, he's conquered you know a significant chunk of the of the world. He created the orc armies. He's over there. He's coming this way. He's this giant burning eye in the sky. He's been this way for a really long time. What else do you need to know? It's not important. Right. And all you see of Sauron is the eye. Well, and, and, and Sauron is a good example of like what you're talking about with the force of nature type of villain. He is an, he's an elemental. He's not even, he's not even an, an entity as you, would, as you would think of it. He's just, it's a, it's a it's a, an an intangible threat over there, and it's coming this way. He's he's a he's a tsunami, he's a tidal wave, he's the volcano about to erupt. And yet he never moves. Yeah. And, and the, even and then, the, uh, the the burning eye is something that they put in because in the books you don't even get that. Yeah. Well, it's it's a ticking time bomb. Mm -hmm. You know, you're on the clock where. You have to, you have to throw the ring in the, in the fire. You have to cut the red wire before, before the clock runs out. It's that kind of, thing. and that's, that's what drives those stories, is, you have to accomplish the thing, before time runs out. Mm -hmm. And even then, bearing in mind that the the time frame for the Lord of the Rings novels, it's it's not as easy to tell in the film. It's quite a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Because everybody's on foot. Yeah. Yeah. 
There was a, they were originally thinking that Sauron was going to make an appearance at the big battle scene, um, and they decided not to do that because it would have diminished the character by just having the burning eye up there, which you can cut to and just stay on that and just get this sense of dread. And then when that eye starts to react, because mm. for the most part, Sauron's eye just... Sits there. Just sits there. And so it builds... You don't... The character, Sauron is, like you said, he's a force of nature. He's just this existential threat that's looming over you. Yeah. If you want the backstory, <laughs> if you would like to learn... The history of Sauron. You can. Yes. It is available. Uh, Silmarillion. It's not. A that's thin a brand book. new edition. And it is. Um, this particular edition is uh, 358 pages. Uh, I, I have a smaller paperback edition, but that's brand new it's, with it's, all new illustrations. It's a very nice edition. Everything. Um, but but you can, and that's the backstory of the world of. You know, Middle Earth, and mm. but it's not necessary. Mazurus in the chat says, if we're talking the Peter Jackson Return of the King, there was a fight filmed mm -hmm. between Aragorn, Aragorn and Sauron at the gates of Mordor at the end of the film. Right, yeah. but they decided not to go with that because right. it it was not as effective as leaving Sauron over yep. here. Yeah, he says Mordor, uh, not Mordo. Mordo is completely different thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's an example of a character that you don't need to know yeah. to, to enjoy the Lord of the Rings films, to enjoy The Hobbit. I mentioned last time we talked about the, uh, the Thomas Covenant, uh, Stephen, Stephen R. Donaldson's Thomas Covenant series. Um, just as Thomas Covenant is a deconstruction of the hero, the, mm. the, the, the archetypal hero, Lord Fowl, literally Lord Fowl, right. he is the embodiment of despite. He is the embodiment of, embodiment of hatred. And he hates everything, including himself. By the time you get to the end of the series, you realize the villain would mm. just rather that none of this was here, including yeah. himself. But since they are, he's going to make... If I have to suffer, yeah. you're all going to suffer with me. In, in many ways, and, it's, and it is a very, it's also a very childish response. But when it comes down to it, a lot of those emotions like hate and despite tend to be very childish in nature. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but it's also that kind of deconstruction of, you know, they give, in many ways, because Donaldson looked at the Lord of the Rings series and sat there and went, there's so much great storytelling here. Um, and there's some echoes of it. So, so at one point, just as in uh, the Cimmerillion, you get a little glimpse of what of Lord Fowl disguising himself as an advisor to the, you know, there's that, that kind of, well, hello, Your Majesty. I'm yeah. here to help. And, you know, um, and Jafar. disaster ensues, yeah. right? Um, but it's, it, you, even there, it's, it's like a, it's a story is told. It's not, you don't get the flashback, you get, I shall tell you of the great disaster that came to our land. Yes, and and you and yeah. which ends up with that comes back to that mythic quality that we got with Obi Wan talking about the the Clone Wars, um, and even then the stories, the descriptions that we do get of Sauron in the Lord of the Rings movies and in the books is the stories told. 
Mm. It's like, it's not, I knew Sauron, and he was a schmuck. It was, centuries ago, mm. man came from the west and encountered <laughs> the elves, and I, Sauron came over the hill and said, I'm going to, you know, whatever, yeah. you know. It's, I, I, keep, I keep going back to this idea that I had about, about telling the, the fall of Anakin Skywalker and, and doing it in a way that fits the, the continuity mm -hmm. a little bit better. And it strikes me that even, even then, if you tell that story the way it should have been told, and and you could argue that particular you know the particulars of it, but even if you get that story that lines up with what Obi Wan said to Luke, you still you still already know how it's going to end. Right, it's an un it's an unnecessary origin story. Yeah, I think it's something that in some cases. In some cases, bringing the greys in makes a villain better. Loki is as popular, the MCU's version of Loki, and the comic book versions for that matter, is as popular as he is because he's not just the evil brother of Thor. Yeah, yeah it's better when they're not one-dimensional. And, and yet, Ming the Merciless <laughs> is a one-dimensional villain, and that's fine because Ming the Merciless is pure, and, and you could certainly do a version of Ming the Merciless where you give him greys, but as, as a contrast to Flash Gordon, just the sheer sneering evil. Force of nature again that, type again, of thing. Um, yeah. be, it makes him an, an, an entertaining villain. And so there's a place to do something like... Especially when you've got Max von Sydow chewing no the scenery. Kidding. I mean... I mean, there's, there's something to be said for, for showing the other side of things, right? So there's a reason why Wicked was a hit. There's a reason why um, uh, uh, Maleficent, those, those films were, the first, I've seen them both. The first one was better. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, you can see why there's an interest in that sort of thing, because there's a different perspective to be shown. And, and quite frankly, the Dis Disney movies can lend themselves to that, because they're telling certain kinds of, uh, fairy tale kind of stories, right? Yeah, it's once upon uh, a time story. And so, you can flip that script and go. Well, and not to mention, she turns into a giant dragon. I mean, come on, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you you want to find out more about that? <laughs> uh, so, so there's 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 reasons to have the gray, the villain, and you know, clad in shades of gray. But there's also something to be said for. No, no, I'm just evil. Yeah, that's black hat, boo hiss. I have come to I have come unto to do bad things to try to to tie the fair maiden or the hero or we you know the the hero of the film might might be a woman and yeah. maybe maybe her uh, her her guy gets tied to the tracks this time. Um, you don't get that anymore. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Well, yeah, no, but you don't get people tied to the tracks anymore. Oh well, that's true. That's, maybe uh, we should try that sometime. Uh, we do have a decent amount of, of train tracks around. We get a decent. Yeah, uh, try that. All right. 
So that's that's going to do it for us tonight because we're already past our hour and it's going to snow tonight. Did you hear this? We're going that's to what I hear. One to three inches of snow is supposed to be coming here tonight. So we're going to go ahead and add out. Just a reminder, folks. And, I used to drive for a living. Yeah, and I don't still. anymore, and I'm so very happy that. No kidding. I do right? no longer drive for a living. Okay, so that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, be sure to check out the most recent episode of Foreign Bodies, which is out now. Um, Mr. Harvey and Mrs. Walker visited Sweden this past And Max Monsetto makes an appearance. Yes, it does. All right, so check that out. And coming up later this week, we've got a new Tartus sauce, mm -hmm. we're hoping, yes, possibly. And, uh, and then tomorrow, I think, uh, tomorrow we've got Live from the Bunker. I'm going to be talking about whether or not awards shows have, uh, have outlived their usefulness. We're just going to just take a look because there's so many award shows going on right now. And uh, At this point, nobody's watching them. To break so. up the monotony. Uh, well, <laughs> I guess. All right, that's going to do it for us. Very, thanks very much thanks, for folks. being here. Uh, uh, Matt and Mazarus and uh, all of you, D-Dub, uh, everybody in the chat, thanks for being here. If you have thoughts uh, on any of our discussions and mm. if you want to suggest topics, uh, you can leave a comment or you can send us an email, h2o at sci-fi4me.com. If you are new to the channel, we do invite you to subscribe. And follow us over on Twitch. We're getting very close to 100. We're going to start our watch parties again and uh, figure out what movies we want to watch over there and, and carve out a time we can do that. So uh, in the meantime, check out the rest of our videos. We'll be back to do this again next week. Thanks, folks. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.